This reading is Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high that I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light around me become night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, the darkness is as light to you. For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, that I know very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes beheld my unformed substance. In your book were written all the days that were formed for me, when none of them as yet existed. How weighty to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! I try to count them. They are more than the sand. I come to the end. I am still with you. Oh, that you would kill the wicked, O God, and that the bloodthirsty would depart from me, those who speak of you maliciously, and lift themselves up against you for evil. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who would rise up against you? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Here ends the reading. Uh, this week we're starting a series on relationships. I've called it Relationship Hub because I want it to be a place where we regularly return to. Uh, what, what is this about? It's about us having practical skills for living out relationships well in life in this world, whether it's friendships, whether it's as a parent, uh, whether it's uh, spouses, it's about us being equipped to do relationships in God's way. It's practical, it's based on the, the truth of God's word and learning to, to live relationships that uh, demonstrate to the people inside this uh, area that you're connected to a different way of relating that comes from being connected to God. So there's something in this for, for all of us. When I grew up in church, I kind of thought that coming to church was about uh, measuring up, being a good enough as a person. And I was very much aware that I didn't measure up. And at one point, my sister said, I'm, well, I'm not going to church anymore because I don't need to go to church to understand what's the right thing to do. 
And I thought, oh, well, I'm not very good at doing the right thing. I need to come to church more. And so that's why I, I will go to church. It was about uh, measuring up, performing. Uh, has anyone had the, struggled with that mindset before that uh, you, you need to measure up in life? Uh, if you've gone through our education system, you probably have that mindset somewhere deep down in you that you need to perform well enough in order to get the result. You need to work hard enough in order to get the result uh, and you either measure up or you don't measure up. Uh, some of you may have gone through and you may have found that you measure up well. Uh, you, you achieve really well and you're celebrated by the system and that's great. And some of you may have gone through and found that actually you don't measure up according to the system. You, you're not performing. And so we look for other areas in which we can perform or measure up. Uh, in, in life uh, as Australians, uh, we're very good at reminding each other and our politicians when we don't measure up aren't we? We're, we're very good at pointing it out and, and saying, you don't measure up in this way, or they don't measure up. And we point the finger not only at other people, but at, at ourselves. And I think for many of us, the inner conversation uh, will go along the lines of, that didn't quite measure up, Randall. Uh, you need to do better. Uh, we, we have this performance-driven mindset that comes in this world, and, and we, we thrust it on other people. Uh, who's ever seen a, a child uh, drop their ice cream? And many parents have responded with, that was expected. <laughs> you, you were waving your ice cream around, you always do that, that was expected. Uh, we, we tend to develop uh, these conceptions of people and how uh, they behave and the way that they act. And when they do what we expect them to do, we say, well... That was expected. I wonder if you've ever heard it said of you. That was expected. You've done the wrong thing, but that's just Randall. Randall's like that. Uh, we, we used to have someone at, at church uh, that a, a few churches ago uh, used to just behave in a way that <laughs> was really abrasive. And a lot of people were, would say, oh, that's just so-and-so. That's just the way they are. And so in churches, we, we've kind of tried to resist this performance-driven, you need to measure up, because we don't like to have difficult conversations about uh, whether people are relating well together. And so we'll say, oh, that was expected. That's just so-and-so. You'll get used to them. You've probably heard that in church. Oh, you'll get used to so-and-so. That's just the way they are. But is that what God thinks or hopes for us? Is that what God hopes for us, that we would stay just the way that we are? Uh, is, is that the way that God relates to us? He relates to us just the way that we are, but he doesn't expect us to remain where we are. But what can happen is uh, when the, the people that you're around... Uh, just say, that's, that's always Randall. He's always like that. It begins to put a box around you. And you begin to believe that about yourself. Uh, Randall, who's ever heard someone say, you're not good at singing? <laughs> yeah. Uh, as soon as you hear that, it makes you doubt whether you're good at singing, whether you're good or whether you're not. I've, I've heard that saying, I know I'm not good at setting the tune. I can follow a tune. But those thoughts rattle around your head that I'm just not good at singing. And so it puts a box around your ability. It doesn't say, 
maybe this person with the right training could be good because singing is often a training-related thing, but you also have to have an ear to hear. Uh, you can be tone-deaf, that, that's possible. But if someone says, you're tone-deaf, it puts a box around you, and all of a sudden you go, well, that's, that's just not me. And so you begin to not sing loudly, right? Because uh, you're, you're not a good singer because you've been told. Uh, when uh, singing opportunities come up, you maybe don't like them so much because you've been told that you're not good at singing. And, and so preconceptions begin to put this box around how you act and be in this world. It happens in lots of ways. It happens with sport. It happens with uh, academic things. Uh, and, and so we spend life uh, looking for what we're, we're good at. And, but when other people say you're not good at that, we kind of tend to look somewhere else. Uh, in relationships... Uh, when uh, we have preconceptions of how people will behave, they tend to become self-fulfilling prophecies. People behave in the way that we expect them to behave. Uh, the, the, the person that never picks up after themselves, they're never expected to do anything different because they're always expected to never pick up after themselves. The, the person that never cleans up. Uh, and, and so... Often parents, and I can do this, uh, jump really quickly to conclusions. Uh, there's, uh, there's dirt on the floor. <laughs> it was, it's probably the kids. They've not taken off their shoes and they've run everywhere. Who's got dirt on their shoes? And, and so preconceptions uh, can kind of uh, define what we expect of people. And the person that is told that they always fail tends to, tends to just always fail because they expect that of themselves. Uh, when, when you look at people and the, the family life that they grew up in, if there's someone that has high hopes for their future, generally they, they tend to live towards those high hopes. If, if you live in a family uh, where you never measure up, uh, it, can, it can crush a person. Uh, some people in those families get crushed. The ones that are high performers end up succeeding but never feeling like they quite succeed. Uh, preconceptions really uh, shape us and can box us in for life. Uh, when we preconceive, we, we look for what we believe and that doesn't really work well in relationships. So when I've done something wrong. Well, like when I was growing up and, and I'd do something wrong, uh, m my parents, I won't single out one of them, would easily jump to uh, who's done it and what they've done wrong. Uh, amongst five kids, it, it, it was easy for them to do it. And, and you know, past patterns of behaviour can be defining. But when we're always looking for what's wrong in relationships, we miss what's right. And God calls us to uh, live in a way that we represent his love. A lot of people come to, to church thinking that the, God, the end of Psalm 139 is exactly how God is. Search me, O God, know my thoughts, test me and know my thoughts, see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So God's here as the, as the big ogre in the sky looking for the wicked ways that you're living in order to tell you off and correct you so that you can walk in an everlasting way. But that's a misconception of God. Because 
What does John 3.16 say? God so loved the world. God so loved the world. What do we read in Psalm 139? We read that uh, God knows all of our ways, is acquainted with all of our ways. So God knew all of the world. He knew the thoughts. He, He knew what was even hidden. And God so loved the world that he sent his son. And so the kind of love that we're invited into as Christians is a love that is able to overlook past behavior, even present behavior, to extend love into relationship. You see, God so loved you that he sent his son Jesus. God so loves me. And God wants us in relationship to live out that love. See, God knows your secrets, the things, the the secret thoughts that you never tell anyone else, and he loves you. (laughs) That's that's pretty amazing, isn't it? Uh, You see, we find ourselves unlovable and not measuring up to others, and they see the things in plain sight. God sees not only the things that are in plain sight, but he sees the things that other, other people don't see, and he loves us. The Old Testament way of living was to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Uh, who, who loves themselves? <laughs> we, we grew up in a society where we're told not to, to love ourselves in many ways, that to love yourself is, is, is a proud thing to do. Uh, but actually, like in order to live that command, you need to at some level love yourself. I, I had a friend who would regularly say to me that, well, the, the Christian life is unlivable because we're given this command by God to love others as we are loved. But if we don't love ourselves, how can we love others? Well, the truth is that we're given a new command by Jesus. Uh, in John 15, it says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. So walking in love is a matter of responding to the boundaries that God gives us for life. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, I've said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that joy may be complete. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And so it's not any longer uh, love as you love yourself or love according to the law. It's actually love as you have been loved. And, and so what we find is that uh, kids and people in general that have not found themselves to be in loving relationships find it really difficult to love in this world, find it really difficult to uh, be good parents and they replicate what has been replicated in them. So we need, as Christians, to learn what it looks like to be loved. If you want to get better at loving other people, you need to learn what it looks like to be loved. Because it's love that changes us. It's love that changes us from the inside out and enables us to love others. You see, when we're questioning uh, what other people are thinking, when we're questioning whether we measure up or whether we perform, whether we're doubting uh, whether we're not good enough or I'm good enough or I'm not good enough, 
Who are we thinking of? Ourselves. And you'll, you'll find many people in relationships think primarily of what, what can I get out of this relationship? What can I get out of this friendship? Uh, how can I get something for myself? Because primarily we're, we're taught to measure up. Am I measuring up? Am I good enough? But actually when you know that you are loved. See, for me, the, the turning point in my Christian faith was after, it was a good six years of really wrestling with trying to measure up and not being good enough, trying to measure up and not being good enough. The real turning point for me was that understanding that God loved me even though I didn't measure up. God was pursuing me even though I didn't measure up. And that God died for me in order that I may measure up. It's not as a Christian that you measure up to be good enough for God. It's that God sent his son Jesus to die for you so that you will be worthy of him. See, the truth of the Christian message is we're never going to measure up. The truth of life is you're never going to fully measure up for I'm always going to disappoint you in some way. You're always going to disappoint someone else. And so if we, we look for performance, in our, instead of living from love, relationships don't work. And, and so in order to live from love, what needs to happen is we need to begin to uh, align our beliefs with heaven. See, God doesn't look at you and go, oh, there's Randall. He doesn't measure up. He's still working on this and this and this and this. Sometimes as parents, we, we can look that way. Sometimes as friends or spouses, we can look that way. But we're actually called to begin to align our belief with heaven. We pray on earth as it is in heaven. See, see God looks at us. He knows all the days of our life. As he formed us, he looks at us knowing all the days of our life and he knows who we're going to become in Jesus. And he relates to us not based on the, the wrong that we've done, but based on who we're going to become. See, when you don't believe anyone's going to be better, you kind of relate to them based on their bad behavior. You put them in the box and you... you Operate in relationship in a way that's safe so that you don't get harmed by what you expect that they're going to do. When you believe for something better for someone, you, you begin to relate in a way that produces that result. Uh, Jesus uh, shares, uh, a, he's, he's a great example in, in John 9.46. Uh, so an argument starts amongst the disciples to which, uh, to which of them will be the greatest. Uh, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, takes a little child and has him stand beside him. So Jesus hadn't heard the conversation. They're, they're going along the road. They're saying, I'm greater. Oh, well, no, you're greater. This person's greater. They're, they're, they're arguing. They want to be the best. Jesus knew their thoughts. You see, God knows our thoughts. Jesus is God. He knew their thoughts, took a little child, had him stand beside him. Then he says to them, 
Whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. Whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For it is the one who is least amongst you all who is the greatest. You can imagine the the disciples uh, who had been wrestling together over who was the greatest. You can imagine the conviction that they felt as, as Jesus said, well, actually the greatest... And in that moment, they will be going, how did he hear us? How did he know our thoughts? The greatest amongst you has to be like a little child, the the one who is the least. And so he gives them the picture of what it looks like in order to live well in relationship, of what true greatness looks like. And so part of... Uh, not only uh, aligning our beliefs with heaven, but describing what life could be looking like for someone uh, who is in relationship with God. See, Jesus uh, knew their thoughts, but Jesus loved them like he he represented the Father to them. You see, all all of us are taught uh, what love looks like by our Primarily, our parents. That's why people that grow up in dysfunctional families often grow up to be dysfunctional, and it's a miracle when they're not. Uh, I'm an imperfect dad. There's ways in which my kids are going to grow up uh, knowing less than perfect love. All parents are that way. It's, it's, not, a, it's, it's not a bad def- reflection on parents that they're not perfect. But Jesus had a perfect father, and he lived out love perfectly as a result of his relationship with his father. But what he also did in representing his father is he represented the father. You see, for all of us to grow in love, we we need to know what love looks like and we need uh, love represented to us. So as in love, the love of God is represented to us as we hear about Jesus, as we read scripture and as The Holy Spirit, as we celebrated last week at Pentecost, pours the love of God into our hearts. And so as we know love, like Jesus has demonstrated love to us, he calls us to love in the same way. Now, if you don't know love, does that mean you can just not love? Well, no, we're still called to walk in the commands. Jesus still instructs us to walk in the commands according to love, but the end goal is that your heart will be changed by love and that you would love in the way that your Father in heaven loves you. So we're called to align our beliefs with, for people with heaven. Uh, what, is, what does that mean? Uh, often in relationships, when things go wrong, we jump to prosecution, right? We want, we want to prosecute someone else for the wrong that they've that has impinged ourself. But if we're not needing to deal with the wrong that they've done against us and we're believing for something better for them, what we in, in a moment that goes wrong need to do is begin to go, well, okay, this person's done something wrong against me. It's hurt me. That's not good. But I believe that they could be better. Because God believed the same for me and I've seen the way love has changed me. And so I believe that if I bring love here, love 
is going to change them and as love changes them, that same love will multiply in the lives of others and that love will change others' lives. And so what we can do in that moment is take our hurt and our brokenness and kind of set it down and talk to the person. And, and this is the conversation I, I, I think often is missed in church because we, we're so busy trying to perform ourselves. You know when you were doing this, you said this towards me. Oh. Well, the person goes, don't see anything wrong with that. Well, when you said that, it really hurt me. At that point, the, the person has this opportunity to go, oh, I've hurt the person. Maybe there was something wrong there. And so rather than starting the point of saying, you did something wrong, you're wrong, you need to apologise, we, 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 we identify that, that we've been hurt, uh, that that person's been part of it. And we say, you know, Jesus calls us to, to, to love in this way. And they have an opportunity to re respond. Uh, it can be applied in another situation. Uh, may, maybe uh, someone's stolen something. Uh, you know that thing uh, is really precious to me. Not you're sto you've stolen something and you're a bad person. You know that thing is, is really precious to me. They in that moment have an opportunity. As you hold what is yours lightly in your hand to go, I've done something wrong. I need to repair relationship. And, and when we offer people opportunity to repair relationship rather than accusing them and boxing them in, what, what we find is that sometimes people will. But what we also find is sometimes people won't. And so Jesus calls us to live our relationships in, in a way that we're willing to be wronged in order to bring someone back into a place of reconnection. So uh, let's align our beliefs with heaven and then believe the best for someone else. Uh, when Jesus sends the disciples out, he, he sends them to houses and he, he says if they welcome you, uh, if they welcome you, uh, receive their hospitality. If they don't welcome you, brush, brush the dust off your feet and bring your peace somewhere else. Sometimes in relationship, we, we need to hope the best for, for people. We need to invite them, give them opportunity to reconcile and restore. But sometimes we actually need to say, okay, God, this really hurts, but I need to step away until you're going to work in here because I can see this person doesn't want to restore relationship. And, and so we need to believe the best for people but recognise at times that, that people aren't ready for what God wants to do in them. And, and so in so doing, what we do is we hold in tension God's hope for people. We hold in tension God's hope for people uh, with where they're at at the moment and we don't believe people are going to stay where they're at, we hope for where they will, and we pray for that. We pray that God would do that work in them. With someone that's not a believer in Jesus, uh, as we're aligning our beliefs with heaven, we need to be careful about expecting them as an unbeliever to behave 
before they believe. Uh, often in a church, uh, you're told, do not touch, uh, do, not, um, do not do this, and it's all about following the rules in order to measure up. Be careful about expecting someone who doesn't believe uh, to behave uh, before they believe. You see, it's love that's, that changes us. Now, you might think to yourself, well, no, I'm just the way that I am. I'm, I'm always going to be the way that I am. But I, I can guarantee you, and it's my testimony, that, that love changes you. Love changes you to not only uh, uh, be different, but to actually grow in confidence as to who you are, who God's created you to be and what he's called you to do. So th thinking practically this morning, uh, in order for our relationships to work well, we need to know God's love. Uh, why, why does the world need God? Because God's love is what makes the world work better. Uh, we have rules and commandments uh, in law that enable life to go well, but ultimately what's going to change the world is it's one heart being changed at a time. And so one of the reasons we need to think about reaching out is because we believe that it's love that, that changes people. So know God's love. Uh, invite God to test your heart. When we're inviting God to test our heart, we're inviting him to do it so that we may be transformed or, or changed, so that we may more accurately represent his love. And learn what it looks like to abide in love. Abiding in love uh, may look like uh, coming to church on Sundays as we worship and we sing. But abiding in love doesn't stop on Sundays. It, it continues through the week as we do things that enable us to remember how much we're loved. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm forgetful enough between uh, our 9 a.m. sermon, which went a slightly different direction, and our 10.30 sermon. Uh, I'm sure you're just as forgetful in some ways. During the week, if, if you're not doing things each day, multiple times a day, that help you to abide in love, it's likely uh, you'll be living uh, meal to meal, almost like a starving person still looking for food. So let me encourage you, uh, if, if you want to grow in love, put patterns in your life that remind you of love what you listen to in the car, uh, and sometimes making a decision around it's really difficult. Often at night, after the kids are down, I want to just sit down and watch what I want on TV, whatever TV series. Sometimes I just need to sit down and put some worship music on that, remind me, uh, that reminds me of God's love. Sometimes I need to sit down with scripture. You see, we're, we're easily presented today with so many things that don't remind us of love yet consume our time. So learn what it looks like for you as a person to abide in love. And it's not just Sundays. Maybe some of you need to discover love for the first time and there's love that is greater than you have ever known to be discovered in Jesus. But discover love in order to love well and then believe what love does for other people as you relate with them. Uh, let me pray for us. 
Uh, Father, you, you called us to you in love. In love, you call us to grow in you. As we come to know your love and as your love's poured out in us, uh, we see our need for you and you change and you grow and you shape us. Lord, help us to, to see in relationship that the person that most needs to grow is us. Uh, Lord, when we're expecting much of others, uh, whether friends, family, kids, uh, co-workers, as we see the, the need for others to grow, help us, Lord, to, to see that the one most in need of, of growth and love is us. And then, Lord, as, as we are, understand how much we are loved, help us to love in a way that changes people. Uh, Lord, uh, where we haven't discovered love before, uh, open our eyes and, and our hearts to it. Give us a hunger for it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.